0: Oh, there we go. Uh, we have accepted Christ as his Savior. There we go. And as his Lord, and he will demonstrate his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by willingly being baptized this morning. He's been waiting on this day a long time.
1: <laughs>
0: and so, Jordan, upon the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. And out the <laughs> <laughs> Go, Jordan. Go, Jordan. Go Jordan. <laughs> just do it the thing is that is not the only one of those there are multiple videos in which children are so excited about their baptisms they just cut straight to this straight to the end and they baptize themselves do you have any experiences of baptism yourself um what was that like if so so you may have been baptized um and so maybe just 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 tell the people around you like when was that and what was that like and what do you remember um, and if you haven 't then that will be you can ask some questions, or you might want to just kind of think you know what does it what does it bring to mind for you if you hear the word baptism okay, uh, hopefully, in just starting to have some of those conversations, uh, you will oh, well I heard some laughter, so i 'm guessing that for some of you baptism was funny among other things you might remember that actually on youth work sunday last year i read out an extract from my diary on about the day i got baptized which is um which you would think would be a very significant day to me but i recorded it with as much um seriousness as as when i then went to kingston straight afterwards with the boy i fancied to get a nice bag because i was 15 (laughs) so i look back on that and being like oh 15 year olds um but what is it that baptism means for christians um there are lots of ideas about that, so we're not going to nail it down necessarily, but going to pull on some of the big ideas about what it is. Um, it, and it will land in some practicalities as we get closer to it, but probably it's not going to be an exactly the, the practical things of how it happens because it happens in lots of different ways. Essentially, it's being um, going under the water in terms of what it is physically, as we know. It's about submersion in some way. Although, it turns out there are three different types. Submersion is only one of them. Aspersion? Anyone know what that is? Sprinkling. Affusion. Water poured on your head. And then submersion and immersion. So there you go. Multiple different types. I want to start by just recognising and thinking about the fact that baptism didn't start even with John, who is known as John the Baptist, because of the work that he did and what his ministry was. Um, He was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, and, uh, and, and we recognise that Jesus instructed his disciples to be baptised and to baptise others, um, and that John was baptising people. But actually, the practice of baptism um, has a history um, in, the, in the Jewish faith, and has also, is also resonant with themes around how God was interacting with his people. And N.T. Wright, who's um, a pretty famous biblical scholar in particular, draws a line between creation so it goes right back to the very beginning and the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt um, and the crossing of the Israelites into the promised land and then the practice of baptism in the New Testament so the way he describes it is that um, baptism is about going through the waters down into water and back up again into new life and into freedom and what he, what he looks back to in this kind of account of what baptism is, is uh, the language in Genesis where um, God parts waters to separate out land from sea in that first creative act. Um, and he says that um, maybe is a little bit of a stretch, but it's a form of through the waters, a creation, a new life is coming. And he then says uh, Moses, who um, in God's power, Uh, leads the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, They are being followed by the Egyptian army and they find themselves at the Red Sea. That Red Sea parts and they are led through the waters into freedom and into new life. And he actually says, and for Moses that's resonant as well because of course he was placed in this basket and his own liberation and his own freedom from being killed as a young baby Um, was being put in a basket and sent down the river through the water into freedom, into life. And that theme comes back again when he leads people through the Red Sea. And then when Moses dies and Joshua, um, whose name we know um, is picked up by Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua then takes the Israelites after they've been wandering in the desert and after Moses has died and they're still waiting to get to this promised land, out of slavery, into freedom, they find themselves again at the edge of the Jordan River and they carry the Ark of the Covenant. And the story goes, as soon as they set foot into the sea, it parts and they all walk through the waters into life and into freedom. And so when N.T. Wright says we're looking at baptism, actually we don't just see it as starting as this specific thing of people lining up by the river and individually going down and coming up. It's part of a whole narrative in which God... God's people are being led from slavery into freedom and from death into life. And water is this kind of theme and this motif of what it means to go from death to life and to go from slavery to freedom. But it's also got quite a specific meaning, which in the Jewish tradition would have been about purification. So this is a kind of big theme about freedom and exodus um, and life. But there's also a very specific practice um, in, that um, is instructed in Leviticus, which is called the mikveh, which is kind of a, a bath or a bathing for ritual purification. And it's part of the system of law that um, is given to Moses by God. And washing is about fulfilling this kind of legal requirement that if you're going to go and sacrifice at the temple, you've got to be clean because to be a human to be living in any kind of society you get unclean by having sex by being a woman and menstruating by accidentally touching a leper by um, associating with certain kind of people Um, and in a number of ways you become ritually unclean and you cannot go to sacrifice you cannot be near god and so you have to go through this bath you have to go through this, this process of cleansing so that you are able to engage in worship and engage with god and that tradition of like this mikvah is actually still, it's still recognized and it's still used. And so these kind of cleansing ceremonies that are about becoming ritually clean exist before John the Baptist kind of picks it up. And they're also found in other religions. So Christianity is not the only religion that does some kind of baptism. So Sikhs have a baptismal ceremony um, called the Amrit. And Islam has a ritual of washing by submersion, again, called a Ghusl. But they're focused on purification, which is what the Jewish one was focused on, becoming clean. So then when John the Baptist comes on the scene, a very interesting character, uh, he takes this idea of the mikveh of cleansing to become clean, and he develops it. And what he does is he recognises that Um, More than just becoming ritually clean so you go and sacrifice at the temple, there is a need for God's people to recognise that they are not living according to God's law, that God's law is bigger than just doing the sacrifices in the right order. There is a kind of sickness and a wrongness in society that cannot be fixed and people are not able to fulfill the law. And so he starts calling people to repent and be baptized. And this new thing of like coming to the river and being submerged and being baptized was a call to say, each of you needs to confess your sins. And what we're doing when we say that is we recognize that as a people we cannot be holy. We're not able to do this. We have to repent. We have to do more than just keep on going as we are with our systems um, and, and trying to uphold the law. So he focused on this kind of sign of repentance through the water into this kind of new life of the people of God becoming ready for a Messiah. What's interesting is that Jesus, at the start of his ministry, goes to John. And um, John is his cousin. And John sees Jesus coming and realizes that he's coming to be baptized and instantly realizes or oh, that no that 's not right, because he has it, we have seen this kind of growing awareness, I think in John that Jesus is is not just the person, the friend, the brother, the cousin, the family member, the people that, the person that everybody knows, but he is actually he 's the one, he is actually the messiah, and I, I think John seeing Jesus coming, he realizes no this isn 't going to work because you don 't need to repent, and certainly our understanding of Jesus is that he he was He was perfect; he had not sinned, he had no need to come and repent and go through that baptism, um, and so John said, "You should be baptizing me i shouldn 't be baptizing you and, but Jesus said, "No, this is the way it has to be." I wanted to pause at that point and just ask you why why do you think that is as I was walking down here, this I was thinking about that why did jesus, if he didn 't need to repent, go to and get and go through this baptism of john 's So he might have been identifying with the actual the thing of repentance. So um, saying it, it's, not, it's not that I personally need to repent, but I identify with and I affirm that this repentance is good collectively. That reminds me of um, Jesus uh, washing his disciples' feet and then saying, if I do this, then you should too. Despite being God, didn't see equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself. Nothing. So what we I think what we then see, so yes, this what, part of what John is doing is then drawing on this idea of the Jewish mikveh, but taking it further and, t- and calling people to a baptism of repentance. It's more than ritual purification. And what we see with Jesus is he takes it even further and transforms it again. And in fact, one of the things that I find most amazing and lovely about Jesus is, is all the ways that he challenges um, the limits of the system of the law. Um, and in particular, the idea that observing the law made people holy. Not only that they couldn't do it, but often their obsession with observing the law made them not recognize the very things that made God. God 's heart pleased, their care for people, compassion for the poor, um, and said things like, it's not what comes out of your it's, it's, um, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you clean or unclean. it's what comes out. It's the words you say, it's the attitudes of your heart. Cleanliness and uncleanliness are no longer categories about what you've touched or who you've seen or what time of the month it is. It is now about the state of your spirit, your relationships with people, justice, mercy, and things like that. And in fact, went even further than that and actively drew the richly unclean into his life, touching lepers, the woman who was bleeding, who would have been richly unclean for 12 years. He didn't even, you know, when he encountered as she grabs hold of his cloak. He didn't even say, um, you're healed, but you're unclean. So go to the mikvah. He actually said, your faith has healed you. Um, giving us a whole new way of seeing salvation and faith, that it's less about these systems that make us clean and about our faith in Christ, that who he is is sufficient to come back into contact with God. Calling us to uh, be baptised and to believe. Does anybody have, um, or could anybody look up briefly, the story of Nicodemus? I wanted to,
1: um, and would you be willing to read it out for us when you look it up? Thanks, Rach.
0: There is so much in that, um, but I just want to pick out one particular thing which I found quite interesting. Um, the Messianic Jews have an interesting take on this um, because the mikvah ceremony was adapted further from just being about ritual purification to being a conversion ceremony. So when you became, if you were a Gentile, a sort of God-fearing or righteous Gentile, if you became Jewish, you would be baptised. You would be submerged and come back up again. And the mikvah in this particular commentator's um, reflections represents um, a mother's womb, which is interesting in light of the thinking about being born again. So um, in Hebrew, that word is rechem, but it comes from the same root as the Hebrew word for mercy, rahama. Badly pronounced, I have no doubt. So what this commentator is saying, that being immersed into those waters of the mikvah is like re-entering the womb, which Nicodemus says we cannot do. Um, The place of God's mercy and of God's kind of creative power and emerging is like being born again in this context to becoming a Jew if you've been a Gentile. And so understanding that, that might be how Nicodemus heard it, gives a kind of different flavour and different uh, angle on that story than maybe we might be used to... um, Hearing, so Nicodemus is sort of saying, "How can I, how can I convert to Judaism if I'm already a Jew? How can I be born again if I'm already a Jew?" Uh, whereas normally I only hear that in a kind of Nicodemus saying, "It's impossible to be to go, but like to shrink and go back into my mother's womb," which you'd kind of think like, "Yes, obviously Nicodemus," um, but maybe he's also asking, "How can I convert if I'm already Jewish?" And so in saying you've got to be born of water and spirit, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, your Jewishness is not enough. Your goodness, your attempts to be holy are not enough. Um, A conversion of your spiritual condition is necessary for salvation. And of course, that's what Jesus demonstrates with his behavior over and over again. He challenges those boundaries between who is in and who is out on the basis of their apparent observance of the law and who's clean and unclean. So, um, again, what Paul does then when he reflects on um, Jesus' teachings about baptism and his ministry and the things he says and the things he, he does is, is do some amazing work theologically to draw the connections between what Jesus then goes on to do, which is to die and be resurrected, and this practice which has evolved, and um, Jesus goes through this baptism of repentance, but then evolves. Because Jesus dies and is resurrected, Paul then says, actually, when we are baptized as Jesus showed us we should do and told us we should do, it's more than being like a richly purified and it's not just saying that we are not good enough and we need to repent. We are actually identifying with, in some deeply mysterious way, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. it's to say that when you're baptised as a believer in Jesus, you somehow go through the same process. And through faith in him, through grabbing hold of his cloak, that faith is sufficient to be brought back into contact with God. It doesn't matter if you're dirty or clean, you grab hold of his cloak, you trust him, you believe in him, and you are brought back into communion with him. So, this is a really important scripture when we think about what baptism is in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ, into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? The symbolism being, although more than symbolism, when you go down into the water, it's like a form of death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is a mystery. Um, <laughs> I imagine there are theologians who have lots of good ideas about exactly how all the different bits fit together in baptism, but I, I find it pretty incredible, and I, I think it's There's some element of this which is just deeply mysterious. But what Paul is saying is, in our baptism, it's not just as if we died and were resurrected. Um, He doesn't really hold back and he doesn't really hedge. He says, you died with Christ and you're resurrected with him. And that's your hope. That if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. She's a new creation. Part of the fact that that's a mystery is that we know that we... Our faith is that we have been made new creations. And yet we don't always feel like new creations. (laughs) Um, And that's part of, I think that's part of, for me, the feeling of like talking about baptism when it's been so long since I've been baptised. Thinking, oh, for someone who's just become a Christian, um, I could imagine the feeling of baptism might be quite different to the feeling of um, continuing to live out your faith. um, Sort of day in, day out, um, trusting and working out your salvation and trusting in that newness a lot of the time. Maybe that's something we could discuss more. We're going to talk more about um, the Holy Spirit later as well. And then finally, I just want to think a little bit about the idea of the Holy Spirit in this. So like John, as you were saying, the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, sort of sudden in that that moment of baptism appear. And the Holy Spirit is then referenced much more in relation to baptism. Um, So when John the Baptist is talking about Jesus. One of the things he says is, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. Talking about Jesus. The thong of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's picked up over and over again later in the scriptures, where, where, where in, on the day of Pentecost, um, when people are listening to Peter preach, and they feel completely convicted, and they go like, tell us what, we, what do we have to do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And another time, um, Paul is with uh, a bunch of believers in Ephesus, and he finds some disciples, um, and he's talking to them, and he says to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed in Jesus?" And they said, "Oh no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit." And then Paul's like, "Well, what baptism did you receive?" And they said, "Oh, John's baptism." Uh, and Paul actually draws a distinction and says, oh, that was a baptism that was about repentance. Oh, that's good, but actually, John was telling people to watch for the one who's coming after, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit." Um, and it says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And I think one of the things that's so lovely about this is that we see this amazing shift from the idea that washing was what you had to do to get into the temple court, to make your sacrifice, to become okay with God. But you weren't obviously allowed into the Holy of Holies ever, because that, the place where God really was. You could get close if you were clean enough. And what happens, according to what Peter and Paul and Jesus demonstrated here, is that instead when you're baptized into that idea of the death and resurrection of Christ, it's like God rushes out of the Holy of Holies to make his home in you. And you are that temple and you are now clean. You are, your faith has made you completely uh, reconciled with God. Okay. Two other very brief things, and then we'll stop and maybe have another brief discussion. Um, There are so many different ways to think about baptism, but just a couple of other things to flag is that um, baptism often happens very quickly after someone agrees to become a Christian. Sometimes it happens a lot later. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all, and it doesn't mean that you're not a believer or a follower if you haven't been baptized, Um, but it's something that Jesus did Um, tell us to do, and it's something he showed us to do as well. And part of it is a public kind of declaration that you are following Christ, Um, a commitment to follow and to be clothed with Christ, as this verse in Galatians says. But it's also a way of identifying that you're now part of the body of Christ and part of the church. So it says, we're all baptised by one spirit to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so part of what baptism also is, is that we become part of um, the body of Christ. So from very early on, like Christian baptism has been seen as as a way of becoming part of the Christian family and associated with the idea of being born again. And at various points, what Paul then has to do is to remind people that actually you've got a responsibility once you've been baptised to make this real in your life. It is possible to be baptised and then turn your back on the whole thing. Because it's not as if some magic happens that takes you over and turns you into some super disciple. It's our job to carry on living out that, um, that choice that we have made. But he doesn't say that it doesn't matter or that it's not real so summarizing some of that, um, actually, this thing goes quite far back. It's like got deep roots in the Jewish tradition, but it was sort of transformed by John the Baptist and then by Jesus again. It's more than purification and repentance. It's actually about um, identifying with that God's invitation to be reconciled with him and actually God coming to live in you. And it's also just something that you do to say, like, yeah, I'm going to join this thing. I'm going to be part of this body and I'm going to do that sort of publicly as well as a kind of... Um, it's, it's a reflection of that, that inner choice to follow. And just before I give you these questions, I'm going to read again this little bit from N.T. Wright because I think this is a really nice summary. The point is that the story which baptism tells is God's own story, from creation and covenant to new covenant and new creation, with Jesus in the middle of it and the Spirit brooding over it. In baptism, you are brought into that story to be an actor in the play which God is writing and producing. And once you're on stage, you're part of the action. You can get the lines wrong, you can do your best to spoil the play, but the story is moving forward. And it would be far better to understand where it's going and to learn your lines and join in the drama through the water to become part of God's purpose for the world.